0: Welcome to Chapter Tactics, your 40k podcast which focuses on playing warmer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I'm your host, PD Pop, and today we are finally talking about tournament news. We have 8th edition tournaments, and my guest, Paul McKelvey, is the man to go to for tournaments. Say hi to everyone, Paul. How's it going, everybody? So, if you guys don't know, Paul McKelvey is one of the operators of the Best Coast Pairings player app. Um, and then we're going to talk a little about the BCP app uh, a little later on in the episode after the introduction. Um, but basically, if you are running 40k events or 40k tournaments now currently and you're not using the BCP app, you are now behind the times. And um, I don't want to say that to be mean, but the BCP app is just that awesome and that revolutionary. Uh, so we're going to talk about that. If you're interested, if you're a TO, you want to know a little bit more about that. Paul's got all that information. But for now, Let's talk a little bit about what I know you guys want to hear, which is tournament news. Well, we have uh, three tournaments we're going to talk about. Uh, we have the Boise Cup GC, which was a very large event in Boise, Idaho. It just happened this last weekend. Uh, obviously, there was the At Ease RTT that Reese and I attended to, if you watch our Signals from the Frontline podcast. Uh, we talked a little bit about that, but I'm going to talk about my side a little bit more and my three matchups and my list, and we're going to get a little more in-depth. And then Paul actually... One, uh, I believe you said it was an eighteen-person event, Paul last weekend. Yep.
1: Yeah. In Sacramento.
0: Nice, and uh, in Sacramento, and Paul is a phenomenal Tau player. He's consistently in the top tables. He's always in the runnings for the best Tau player in the ITC, and he knows what he's doing. And he's a really great guy to talk to, to listen to about uh, what's good with Tau, what's not good with Tau. He's very, very passionate. He he loves a lot of the Tau models, so. Brought him on so we could talk all about our main. What was that?
1: I said I love all the town models.
0: All the town models. Even Vespids?
1: Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> all right. Did you bring any Vespids to your tournament real quick? Uh, no, because I'm getting them painted up still. Okay. So you heard it here first. Paul's getting Vespids painted up. Dun, dun, dun. Um, also, I, I would, and I'm sure you might be okay with this, I would love to see a Vespids Mandrakes top table to BAO. We oh, need to make I... that happen.
1: Totally would love to see
0: that happen. All right. But anyways, we're going to talk about those tournaments. And, of course, the main topic is going to be Xenos 2. We're going to start talking about all the different indexes, all four, five, five indexes, um, starting with the Xenos 2 index. The reason why we're starting with the Xenos 2 index is simply Paul was just the the next guy on my list of recording. So we're going to talk about the Xenos 2 index. We're going to talk about Orcs, Tyranids, gene steeler Colt, and um what what was that last? Just some bluefish people? I, th- I think what? they're ta tau tau uh. Paul, you there? Ta Oh, yeah. tau is that what the... uh, anyways, no one cares about that oh. last race <laughs> um. But we're going to talk about Xenos too, and we're going to talk about them in a competitive sense. So we're going to talk about the best units, uh, maybe some combinations that we just see, first impressions. Obviously, I don't play any of those armies, um, so I'm going to be a little bit behind. But I have gotten my butt kicked by several Tyranid lists and several Orcs lists uh, on behalf of Reese. So I'm going to do my best to talk about those combinations, kind of what I've seen. Um, And if you have, of course, Tau, Tyranid, or could you see their cult players in your area and you want to share this podcast episode with them, do that now onto the tournaments. So, uh, first let's talk about the Boise cup GT. Now I'm on my best coast pairings player app right now, and I'm just going to go ahead and pull up the top table. And, um, Paul, while I'm doing this, why don't you tell them a little bit about looking up tournaments on the best coast pairings app? Well,
1: Basically, the if you go into your Best Coast Parents Player app and check out your recent events, you can see all the events that have gone on in the last 10 days. And if anyone submitted lists then they're their sponsored event, they show up. Or you can actually become one of our subscription members and see all the lists and look at all the data from all the way back to when we started collecting it. That includes lists and rankings and everything.
0: Right on. So top table at the Bay Cup GT uh, was Tim Travers, versus Jeremy Vissier. Jeremy Vissier is a—he's he, primarily a Xenos player, although I have seen him play some chaos lists. Um, he's known as the French Overlord. Um, he is one of our former members of Team Zero Comp, um, and he's a phenomenal player. So it's no surprise to see him at the top table. Uh, Tim Travers, I don't know much about Tim, although I'm sure because he made it to the top table at a really stacked event, um, You know, he did well, and he ultimately beat Jeremy. So you know, we're just going to go over their list real quick. Jeremy Vissier had... Uh, a troop master, one, two, three, four Harlequin troops, uh, Shadow Seer, another Shadow Seer, two Hemlock Wraith Fighters, and four Star Weavers. And that's it. All with Shuriken cannons. Um, and then the Hemlock Wraith Fighters had heavy Death Scythes and some grenade launchers in the Shadow Seers, and Harlequin's caressed and two fusion pistols. So you had a really optimized Harlequin list. Essentially. It spammed a lot of the Star Weavers, spammed a lot of the troops. Um Shadowers Shadow Seers are really good. I, I believe Shadow Seers give you the four up in Vuln. I don't know. I'm not familiar with the Harlequins list. Paul, do you know?
1: Um I, I actually am pretty sure the Shadowseer is it gives them uh the the minus one now, like uh the stealth ability.
0: Ooh. That's actually pretty Which... good.
1: That's pretty scary, actually, because someone was telling me that Harlequins are minus one to hit, and I, I haven't—I don't have Xeno's index one. Yeah, I'm looking so at it right now. That's a—that's uh, pretty scary. I, I i did talk with Jeremy after the boys GT briefly, and uh, he was—he was telling me that his last game was incredibly tough, and it, it basically came down to a couple of his fusion pistols just missing some some key shots. But, um, it it. I mean, this looks like a really hard, hard-hitting list. I mean, especially if those Shadow Seers are, are doing what I'm I'm picturing to do, and those Hemlock, Hemlock Wraith Fighters, I haven't played against them yet, but I've seen people play them, and they are just, that's their mean, mean unit.
0: Oh, yeah, the Hemlock Wraith Fighters are really mean. Yeah, Shadow Seers give you a minus one to hit, and the Troopmaster actually gives all of your Harlequins within six inches a reroll failed wound rolls. So that's actually really strong, combined with the Star Weavers, which are no slouch in close combat. Um, you know, they, they have a three strength six, essentially rending attacks, so where on a six they do their AP3 instead of zero, uh, one damage. So they're not bad, they have a lot of good shooting. Um, and then of course, the Harlequin troops are really strong. And let's see.
1: That's, that's pretty impressive,
0: yes. Yeah, so it it sounds like just a, a just a mean optimized Harlequin list. Um, the the problem with Harlequins though is they don't they they're they're very, still very frail. I know that you can give them, get them to a, basically an army wide four Um but they're still they're still really really frail. In, in that they're you know their their vehicles are only toughness six, um, or actually the Starweaver's toughness five. My mistake. Um, toughness five with six wounds. They're not crazy cheap. They they come in at around seventy nine points, so that that's a little more expensive than a rhino, but not as durable. But obviously it hits a little harder. Um, and then of course the troops with the with the fusion pistols is actually really really good. Uh, but uh, go ahead.
1: How, how far do Harlequins move now?
0: Ooh, I believe they move eight inches like all Eldar. So and then how
1: about the uh, Starweavers are they moving fourteen or sixteen?
0: They're they're moving sixteen inches.
1: So that's you, pretty that's yeah. pretty crazy, man.
0: Yeah, that's, you're getting into your of fa- your opponent's face soon.
1: You have one turn to stop that before you are in a really bad spot, and you have to deal with those fighters too. That's that's a really that's a really hard hitting list.
0: Yeah, and actually, I didn't actually see this, but the Starweaver combined with the Shadowseer... Oh, it only works with infantry models. Okay, never mind. So the the Starweaver itself gives you a minus one to hit it already in the shooting phase. Oh, uh, wow! And then the star the Shadow Seer gives your infantry a minus one to hit so you're you're hitting the entire army at a minus one essentially um include, if you also include the hemlock wraith fighters when they're using their sonic rule um so that that's actually does kind of with the invuln save mitigate a lot of their toughness problems um i think the fact that he didn't bring a solitaire was kind of strange um because the solitaire is really really strong um so I, i'm wondering why he didn't bring that it's probably because maybe it was too expensive maybe it didn't fit in his list um but that's just interesting. I think a solitaire would give a little bit more close combat presence and a little bit of more speed and flexibility.
1: Well, it's not always just about knocking out your opponents. Sometimes it's just playing in the missions. And, and looking at this, he, he has the ability to be anywhere on the board he needs to. It's true. And I, the the Eldar, Eldar Flyers have a huge advantage with the ability to uh, make that extra turn at the end. It gives them a lot more board control. It doesn't seem like it's that big a deal, but... When you're covering as fast distances as fighters are, you need to be able to have that extra turn like that. It just it makes them they can just bounce anywhere they need to be on the board and apply that firepower they have. But cobble that in with the fact that his his vehicles are super fast and his troops are super salty on top of it. That's some scary. Uh, I mean, they're they're tough to kill and not everything has the shooting. You know, the Daca. If you're in a close combat army, you're they're going to be in close combat with them and they get to dictate the the, the charges. It's pretty wild.
0: I agree. Now, let's talk about Tim Travers' list, the, the guy who won the whole event, the only person who went 5-0. and um, Now, keep in mind, that I'd like to put a little asterisk next to this because it was an 1850-point game uh, game tournament, which is which is not, not to knock on the event itself, but that's probably not going to be the meta. I think you're going to see 2,000 points become the golden standard across the board for all tournaments, um, which means that just add an extra 150 points to each of these lists um, so just think about the things that you, they could have brought in addition to their normal list. Um, so maybe because because it was 1850 instead of 2000 points, um, maybe this might not be a complete re- representation of what the meta is going to look like. But it's pretty close. I mean, it's only 150 points. It's not, it's not that big of a difference. Um, but the Wings of the Angels, what he entitled his list, uh, he had one, two, three, four Storm Ravens. Um, three with twin-linked assault cannons, all of them with twin-linked multi-meltas. Uh, all of them had storm strike missiles launchers, of course, and all of them had Hurricane Vultures. Um, and then, of course, two Storm Talk Interceptors, a captain with a jump pack, and a tactical squad, just to round out his list for... I, I think he just wanted an extra command point out of that. Um, so only he had five command points, um, but Double Flyer Wing, four Storm Ravens, Storm Raven Spam, Space Marines. This is the list that... People have been the most worried about, I think, now. Um, so, have you? Did you get a chance to play against any Storm Raven spam lists, Paul?
1: No, I, I have not played against any Storm Raven spam yet.
0: No. Um, so, for those of you who don't know what Storm Ravens do or what they are um, in the Meadow right now, they're 172 points, which is actually absurdly cheap because they put out uh, Hurricane Bolter shots, which are rapid fire six. So they're shooting 12, or they're yeah they're yeah, the rapid fire six, because it's six bolters on the gun. Yep. Um, so the so they put out 24 shots uh, anywhere between, the, there's no firing, ar- firing arcs anymore. Um, they can split fire individually. So previously, hurricane bolters and storm ravens were a bad idea, um, because you could, at most, power of machine spirit one, and maybe put six bolter shots into something that you wouldn't normally shoot at, right? And then, of course, the rest of the storm ravens guns would all have to fire at a bigger target. Um, but now, combined with the twin assault cannon buff, so their shoot- twin assault cannons are shooting 12 shots instead of uh, 4 twin linked shots, um, you have a lot of DACA coming out of Storm Ravens. And then their Stormstrike missile launchers are no longer one use, um, so you can keep using them as many times as you want. So You, you essentially have a, a huge gunboat um, that even though you get a minus one to hit with most of its weapons when it moves, um, you still have a lot of really strong firepower. Um, oh, I
1: think and, ignored the minus one to to hit. I I, I think it shoots oh at yeah, full power.
0: Position. Machine spirit. You're right. Yeah, they have power of the machine, so they don't even. So they just hit on threes. Uh, terrifying. Yes, and then if you combine them with uh, a character like Reboot Gilliman, who gives them reroll to hit into wound, uh, or any of the multitude of Space Marine characters. Uh, in this case, a Space Marine captain with a jump pack to deep strike down where they're going to be and then kind of follow them as they're flying around the board. Uh, that's really, really powerful. Um, now, don't get discouraged. Uh, they, they do tend to go first um, in tournaments that use the traditional out of the rule book deployment. So first person to finish deploying gets to go first. Um, but they are susceptible to dying to alpha strikes and to armies that can take out their flyers before they get a chance to do damage. Um, so just keep that in mind because the flyers aren't super durable um, they're toughness 7 which is uh, a, b- obviously below the toughness 8 threshold that most people are shooting for to kill knights and things like that knights and land raiders and and uh, uh, shadow swords and whatever big nasty toughness 8 things brass scorpions um, uh, yeah <laughs> um, so wraith knights there's, there's a lot of nasty toughness 8 things um, so you need to be able to kill toughness 8 models with your list I think so killing a Toughness 7 model with a 3-up save, and I think 18 or maybe less than that. They they have double-digit wounds, but I don't think they have less wounds than the Land Raider, um, which is not that many. Uh, I think they have like maybe 14 wounds. I wish I, I had that. the book on me. Is it 14? You know what? I do have it. Okay. Paul, help me out. Uh, They have...
1: They are fourteen wounds. All
0: right, got it right on the nose. Um, but so fourteen wounds, toughness seven with three up save. Even with that minus one hit, uh, if you if you build your army around a solid fire base um, or a solid close combat base with a character that buffs them, you, you should be okay. So there's a lot of all of the, the all of the factions I think have ways to deal with that storm raven army. Um, w- which means it's not broken it's not it's not an army that you can't interact with it's just really powerful and points efficient uh... so just keep that in mind as storm ravens come on and then on top of that uh... storm ravens aren't the best at holding objectives um... you know just because they're they are large vehicles on um, their high points costs, so you, you, them being high points costs means you can only put so many of them on one objective so if your opponent has something like uh... a Primarch, like reboot gilman or magnus um, that, that can kill the Stormer even easily. They'll just go over there and just kill it. Um, or you can stick a bunch of bodies on there like uh, Brimstone Horrors or Conscripts uh, or, or Gene Stealers or even Hormagants or Termagants. Um, whatever army, you can, whatever model you can spam a lot of and then just take the objectives from them. Um, and Hurricane Bolters, in my experience, are powerful, uh, but they aren't as horde-killy as, as people like, would expect them to be. Especially with a single Storm Raven. Um, so the Storm Raven lists do, I think, lose to horde armies, large, massive horde armies with good fire bases. Um, so, in other words, they lose to more balanced lists. And knights. I don't think they can be knights still. I think knights can outrange, depending on the knight list.
1: Uh, they should be killing a knight a turn.
0: I don't, I don't know. It, it, assault cannons just do so. Because I, I run three knights in Gilliman. And if you're not wounding my knights on at least a four plus with your with your weapons, no matter how many there are, usually I'm pretty okay. Um,
1: yeah, but he's got double Melta and double Laz Cannon on each of those storm ravens.
0: No, no, he's got d- twin assault cannons on three of them and only one with twin las cannons. Really? Yeah. So so he only has two las cannon shots. Yeah, two last cannon shots and um and eight multi Melta shots. Which, you know, if you're if you're averaging out to all of them shooting at one knight. Um, You shouldn't get more than maybe 3d6 damage on the knight, right? Because you have eight multi-melta hits, um, maybe six hit because your opponent's really lucky, Uh, and then from there, three wound, and then your opponent saves one, so that's two multi-meltas. Probably not at melta range um, because it's only 24 inches, so it's only 12-inch melta range. Um, And if they're within 12 inches, I think the knight can, can put a real hurting on you. Oh, actually, no, they can't charge you. Never mind. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but but anyways, I, I think I think the knightless can can handle that. Um, and the, knights the can
1: shoot them apart. part was that the knights could, could shoot them.
0: Yes, and the knights can shoot you back. Uh, and um, if, if you're devoting four storm ravens to shooting at one knight, uh, that's that's starting to be a negative point efficient venture for you. Um, you, you know, it's not a very good trade. Uh, and then from there, it'll it'll just get worse and worse, uh, especially if the night player goes first and they kill a couple storm ravens or they kill one storm raven. And if they kill that one last cannon storm raven that you have on your board, you, you know your odds of winning are reduced significantly.
1: Yeah, and you have to you have to angle the storm ravens correctly so that you can uh, have the flight angles on it.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it, it it gets tricky, and then if you hover them, knights can charge you, and then you're taking 12 battle cannon shots to the face. It it, it gets real tricky, um, and then I know uh, some knight lists that might that run like like five knight lists with less shooty shooting than four or three knight lists. Those knight lists might have a little harder time um, because they have less shooting because they have chain swords. Uh, that might, that knight list might have a problem, but I think that that's not the most optimal knight list anyways. Alright, so let's go ahead and move on to the uh, second game. It's uh, Caden Humphreys versus Thomas Hegstrom-Oki. Thomas Hegstrom-Oki is last year's best Space Marine player, and I'm actually bringing him on to talk about Imperium 1 next week. So if you guys want to catch that next week, we're going to talk about Imperium 1. We're going to talk about all things Space Marine. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, He ran uh, a battalion detachment with Gilliman, uh, Cato Sicarius... Five tactical squads. One, yeah, five tactical squads with combi flamers. Um, one of them only has a power axe. A uh, bunch of multi meltas. Two multi meltas, a missile launcher. Two missile launchers, a grab cannon. Um, actually, all the sergeants have power axes. Uh, and then three razorbacks with twin assault cannons and torrential killer missiles, um, which is funny. Uh, and then one with twin las cannons. Two with twin las cannons. Yeah. Two predator las cannons. Sorry, everything's kind of jumbled up here. Um, and then a collectus assassin, which which is actually not the best assassin. Um, now I think this list is illegal. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. Sorry, sorry, Thomas. We're gonna talk about this on next week's episode. I'm already calling you out. Um, but essentially, so so it's a good list. It's it's basically it's built around um, Gilliman tactical squads and Sicarius. and Secarius uh, stops your opponent from charging in and gaining the bonus for attacking with all of their units first. Um, and, you know, being able to swing with Power Axes, two Power Axe attacks, re to hit and to wound, is really strong. Uh, and then, of course, there's a lot of Marine bodies you have to chew through, and then the Razorbacks. So you can stick the Marines inside the ra- Razorbacks if you need to, if your opponent has a lot of grab, for example. Um, so it's a, it's a really powerful list. Uh, predators are really strong for their points. I'm I'm not sure I'm not sold on the Klexus Assassin. Uh, I think that's the worst Assassin out of all of them. Uh, Paul, do you have any experience playing any of the assassins? I
1: have not seen any of the assassins on the table yet.
0: Okay. Uh, the collectus assassin is the anti psycher assassin. Uh, the Calidus is is my personal favorite, even though it's not the best. It's not the hands down best. It's probably actually even the third best. Um, but it, it stops your opponent from or it steals command points from your opponent. Um, so on a four plus, whenever they use a stratagem, they have to use an additional command point, or they don't get to use the stratagem, which is pretty cool. Um other than that it's not very powerful um and then of course, the Eversor, which lets you charge on a three d six and absolutely shreds things, and then the vindicare assassin which is the big character sniping you know overlord that that's gonna ruin all of your character's days um it's actually really good the vindicare is pretty it's it's the most expensive assassin, so I think it's appropriately costed, but the vindicare is uh is pretty troublesome. Yeah, I think uh, because vindicators have the character special rule, and you they have a two they add two to their save when they're in cover. Um, so and they can also deep strike quote unquote because they've been hiding in shadows. So a lot of people will take like a, like reboot Gilliman to give them rerolled hit rolls of one, and then just pop them out of a building, and then maybe like five of them pop out of the building and then start sniping characters, and you can't shoot at them because they're characters. So you have to shoot at the closest models, and if you surround them by like you surround them with like 120 conscripts, and the the assassins are just sniping characters left and right, um, you can't really do anything about it. So it can get pretty, can get pretty hard sometimes. So hmm. yeah, so vindicators are pretty, pretty terrifying. Yeah,
1: it does not sound like fun. <laughs> no.
0: No, no, not at all. You start. You really have to start hiding your characters at that point, because they don't get a save, right? Because they combined all the ammos into one, so you're they're wounding you on a two plus. Um, they're hitting on a two plus. They're ignoring your invuln save. They're obviously ignoring your armor save. Um, and then they're doing D three damage each, or I think if you're a monster, it's D six damage. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a uh, yeah. It they get pretty nasty. Um, but Thomas Hextromoki uh, collects this assassin. And Thomas, I'm sorry, Gilliman is not an HQ choice. He's a Lord of War choice. So, sorry, buddy. Hate to call you out online like that. But that's what the BCP app is for, is for checking, is for doing exactly this. Is oh, no,
1: Earth... he has, he has Curious.
0: Yeah, but but he has a battalion detachment, which is two HQ minimum. And uh-huh. he has one, two, three, four, five, right. five, five character or five, uh, troop choices which i think the patrol detachment i think the maximum you can take is four
1: No, he's he's got a battalion that's that's right yeah the yeah. battalion's the six
0: yeah so yeah
1: it's just he, he goldman's not an hq he's a lord of war yeah
0: so he can he could actually and he all even put the plus three commits sorry thomas i'm sure thomas probably already knows someone probably came up to him and told him immediately afterwards um but i, I think it's important to to look at other people's lists online and hold everyone accountable for their lists. I know that if I were to run a legal list and I were to win an event, I would feel terrible, even if it wasn't my fault. I doubt... I, I know 100% for sure that Thomas is not malicious. He did not cheat on purpose. Uh, it's a new edition. There's a lot of really confusing stuff. Um, there's a lot of things that, uh, you know, you just assume that, thing, that you can take certain things or do certain things because of last edition. Um, for example, I had a list in the very beginning. I was running Calgar, Gilliman, and Drago in a Lord of War detachment <laughs> and and Calgar and Drago aren't Lords of War anymore um, and then Reese kind of just said like hey Pablo they're not Lords of War anymore that's a very illegal list and I was like okay sorry my bad um, but th- things like that happen um, and then of course his opponent we're going to go to right now this is the second table was Caden Humphreys who lost to him and Caden had a, a Necron list um, he yeah. had a Satan, a Destroyer Lord, three Doomsday Arcs, a Tesseract of oh boy, uh, and then Triarch Praetorians and a Triarch Stalker. I actually think Caden is uh, is I think he's getting married to a friend of mine, so Caden, if you're listening to this podcast, congratulations, buddy. Anyways.
1: That's uh, a Doomsday Arcs. Sure too.
0: Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, Doomsday Arcs essentially like to sit back and, and blast things with heavy damage shots, so I'm gonna go ahead and go to Doomsday Arcs right now. I've got the, the thing open up right now. Just gotta scroll down to the Doomsday Arcs, um, and then the Satans are all really powerful too. The Satans all have their own their own special powers. And he brought Nightbringer, who who uh, has a four up invuln save, uh, has a an assault D6, always wounding on a two plus AP four D3 damage attack. Uh, which is crazy. Um, and then it, he hits exactly the same way in close combat. So he's just—he's a beat stick. He's uh, eight wounds, toughness seven, and it's a character. So that—that's probably why he brought the satan because he, maybe he could hide the satan behind the tesseract vault. And um, he didn't bring anything. He didn't bring anything to uh, to move up the board with the satan with. So imagine he just advanced slowly up the board, uh, and then when anything ever came close this satan countercharged and killed it uh so that's really powerful and the doomsday arc which i cannot seem to find doomsday arc has a oh yeah it has uh heavy d3 72 inch range strength 10 ap5 d6 damage attack power attack if if it stays stationary if it stays stationary yes um but you know you you know you're you're going to you're probably going to stay and if you stay and if you shoot models with units of 10 or more, it becomes heavy D6 instead of heavy D3. Um, then it's low power attack. is It's not bad. It's just a battle cannon shot. Strength 8, uh, AP 2, D3 damage, and it's heavy D3 as well. But it's only a 24-inch range. Um, but that that's actually really strong. So I imagine what what he did was he moved the Doomsday Arcs up to the point where he needed them to be. Uh, and then maybe the Tesseract Fault kind of just around the board and shot things because i think the tesseract vault is extremely hard to kill right now yeah it's got it's 28 wounds toughness seven uh three up save it has living metal so it regains wounds back um it has powers of the satan so you get to you get to use powers of the tan with it um and then of course when it dies it does mortal wounds like any other vehicle uh and then it also has uh
1: but that one explodes
0: on a four plus i think though yeah it does on a four plus it does d6 mortal wounds so everything within two to six inches that's, that's crazy. a
1: huge model too you just shove that thing down your opponent's throat and just tell them to kill it okay. it's like go ahead kill it i'll use a command point to re-roll this watch
0: right and then in the meantime you're using powers of the satan so you know uh you're doing d3 mortal wounds to things you get to use three powers so wow so you can use you can yeah. either shoot d3 mortal wounds at something on a two plus uh or you can you can uh roll a d6 if the result is higher than that unit's wound characteristic. At one model from that unit is slain, so you can just flat out kill a model in a unit, um, and then it does. It does uh, for each model. Okay, wow. So every model within twenty-four inches, uh, you roll of a six, and the model's unit suffers a mortal wound. Oh my gosh! Gotta so, yeah, be
1: honest, I am I am shocked that Thomas was able to pull the win out on that.
0: Yeah, it. it I, yeah, I'm interested. To, he probably. He probably just Gilman probably it's, just manned up and charged it by itself. I don't know. That's check this
1: out, Pablo. You're looking at the, the pairings, right? Yeah. Touch on the top option, and you can see they played a uh, Dawn of War too. Oh wow. Or I'm sorry, Hammer and Anvil. That's that's it was uh Jeremy had Dawn of War. They they had Hammer and Anvil. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah I can see I guess that's best case scenario for, for Thomas there. Yeah. Probably sat back with with his vehicles and just waited for the the because the Necrons have to get close to him.
0: Yeah. So yeah. So ah. I imagine the test vault just I don't know. That's the I mean, if you're if you're Caden, couldn't you just shoot back, sit back and shoot all the Razorbacks?
1: Yeah, but he's he's they're they're more efficient at closer range, so and he's got to be able to back up and especially if there's line of sight blocking on it. You know, there's. That's, that's hard firing lanes to get your those, those big uh, doomsday arcs down you know and then past, past that I mean the triarch stalker is not super fast either and the tesseract
0: All right everyone we're back. Sorry about that uh, We had trouble in the warp. It is hellishly hot over here in San Diego um, and unfortunately I have to record at my house uh, and I have to record in my hot hot room with all the fans off um, because my family, you know they want to enjoy their their living room and their open, breathing, cool space. Uh, so my computer overheated and Skype crashed. No big deal. We got everything taken care of. Now I believe we were talking about uh, Paul. You were talking about uh, Cadence Necron list, and you, you were about to mention something about the Tesseract Vault uh, uh, and the Hammer and Anvil deployment.
1: Yeah, it, I, I think the deployment really helped uh, yes. helped Thomas out a lot on that 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 mission. Um, I think that the uh, the Necrons need to be really close up with each other. And if you don't have, I mean, trying to get across the board to have firing lanes all the way across the board and not just small little kill kill zones with you know big long range weapons, it's it's a tough thing to do. So he sent the Tesseract Vault and the Triarch Stalker off on their own essentially, and uh, that's a tough thing to do when you're walking into a Marine. You know, mobile gun line like that.
0: Right, and, and Thomas Oki had enough missile launchers and las cannons to be able to kill Doomsday arcs, even with the Living Metal rule, because um, you have to just be able to kill maybe one a turn, uh, one in one complete turn, and not let it regain wounds and get into cover. Uh, so, so I think it was very likely that the uh, that uh, Thomas just deployed in the back and let and let Caden come to him. Now, one another cool thing is in the BCP app, you can look at your placings. And just look at the the basically how everyone placed. Um, so your top five were uh, Tim Travers, his Blood Angels. Second place, Jeremy Visser with his Harlequins. Uh, third or tied for second place, Thomas Oki and his Space Marines, his Ultramarines. Uh, fourth place, we had uh, Dark Eldar, which is a, a really interesting because we don't see Dark Eldar in the top five anymore. Uh, so he had an Archon, two Archons, three units of Cabalite Warriors, some Scourges three units of Ravagers, which are really good, and three Razor Wing Jet Fighters. Wow. That's a lot of Dark Lances. I count three, six, nine, eleven, thirteen Dark Lances, two Void Lances, and a whole lot of Splinter Cannon Venoms. One, two, three, four, five Venoms with Splinter Cannons. Two Splinter Cannons each. So um, that's just a lot of mixed firepower. um, And... You definitely want to mix your firepower up a little bit. You don't want to be able to kill one type of toughness. Uh, You want to be able to kill toughness 4 very efficiently, very points efficiently, and you want to be able to kill toughness 8, period. So uh, that's a good way to go for any list. Um, And then finally, last but not least, we had Sean Sharp, Ultramarines coming in 5th, my boy Sean, with, uh, with a real Ultraman list, he had uh, one, two, three, four units of Sternguard veterans, uh, four Razorbacks, some, some Conscripts and a Lord Commissar. It's, uh, 40 Conscripts, to be exact, and a Lord Commissar. Uh, and, of course, Rabute Gilliman. Um, Sternguard veterans with, with two LAS cannons each sounds actually really interesting. Um, I've never thought about that, and I'd actually like to speak to you, Sean Sharp, if you're out there in the Netherworld anywhere um, just, uh, let me know how, how you did, how, why you chose to bring guard with last cannons instead of, you know, tactical squads or devastator squads. I'm just curious. I wonder if it's just for the bodies or if you really like that special issue ammunition with, uh, Gilliman. Um, I'm just interested. And then, of course, the Razorbacks, Twin Assault Cannons, it's really good. That's it. And then, Maynark... Josh Stroll ran the Mainarch faction, which I have no idea. Do you know what the Mainarchs are? No, I don't. It's, oh, it's just uh, Necrons. He just wrote down. I don't know what Mainarch came from. He spelled it M A Y N A R K H. Maybe that's the name of his Necron faction.
1: It's got to be the name of the, the sub faction, nothing else.
0: Right. Uh, but, it's,
1: it's, but He has Overlord? Hmm. I wonder why. what the advantage is of doing it with that one.
0: I don't know maybe maybe it's just his, his his specific necron you know army and, and anyways uh so yes yeah, so you had uh a blood angels player in first um two space marine players a harlequins player a dark eldar player who had very different lists uh and then a space Wolves player another necron player tyranids chaos space marines and then a gene cedar cult player in your top 10. so pretty diverse um Still a lot of Space Marine power armor uh, to be expected. That's that's always going to be really common throughout any edition. Um, so there's your top ten for your first large GT. And that's kind of cool. Now,
1: that's a pretty awesome top ten right there.
0: Yeah, it's, it's there's uh only there's no Craftworld Eldar or Tau in sight.
1: Or convocation.
0: Or or war convocation or demons. there's no demons chaos space marines is the closest thing you get to demons in the top 10 uh so that's pretty cool it's, it, the meta is definitely going to be different um and it's really cool to see a tyranid player and a dark eldar player in the top 10 because those factions didn't traditionally get a lot of love in the beginning um and then i i i'm sure there's there's some diehard orc players i talk about them all the time if you listen to my previous podcast uh there are some diehard orc players that i'm sure will think of some brutal lists for orcs in the future Anyways, let's talk about your event, Paul. Uh, you did just win an RTT um, with your towel list. Do you want to talk a little bit about that event?
1: Yeah, it was uh, it was kind of a, a last-minute deal, and I, I happened to have the day off, and I was able to get in, and they ended up having a much larger attendance. They had a, had a um, Sacramento at Grayscape Games. They run the, the Twin Link tournaments, but because they were running under, under the 7th ed format and hadn't had a... Um, they hadn't had a chance to review it and figure out how they were going to do twin linked in eighth. Uh, They decided they were just going to instead throw a normal 1500 point tournament and uh, posted about it on Facebook and, and ended up having 18 people show up. And it was a, it it was the first real tournament I've gotten to go through. I ran a tournament on launch day, but that's very different from actually playing in a tournament. And uh, it's, it was a, it was a little bit of a shock to watch. I mean, uh, we had Tony Myers show up with his Revenant Titan you know, because the book had, had just dropped and so they allowed it and I saw some people with Stompas and I, I love seeing the big toys on the board and uh, it was, it made for a really, really cool, everyone's kind of angling like, oh, I want to fight the fight the Titan and see what it can do and I think uh, everyone was a little underwhelmed with what it actually ended up doing. He played against John Johnson's Orc Horde and uh, I think he actually drew that game. I mean, let's see, we can look it up. um, But it... Uh, I know that Tony in the end said it wasn't it wasn't worth it at, to bring a twelve hundred point Titan to a fifteen hundred point game.
0: <laughs> I'd hope not.
1: Yeah, he just wasn't able to get the. Uh, it, it didn't pull its weight. I mean, sure, if there was if he lined up against you know a couple knights or something like that, he would punch holes in them. But I really like what they did with the whole macro weapon thing, and it's great for seeing when the Titans do get on the board, they clash clash with each other. But if you don't see those Titans on the board. You know, there's there's ways of getting around them. Even the mighty Townar is going to fall to just a little bit, almost the same firing firepower it takes to take down the Tesseract Vault. You know, so.
0: Yeah. Now I am curious. I wonder if his Revenant Titan died at all that tournament.
1: Uh, it got down to two wounds.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: You don't That's, lose it, but. Yeah,
0: those Revenant Titans, uh, they they are, they are terrifyingly durable. Um, you know, they have void shields and and a ton of wounds. You know, probably like T nine with with a two up no, save.
1: I think it's it might be toughness seven, but I think it's toughness eight. It, it's, a, it's none of them are over toughness
0: eight. Oh really? Okay. Well, that's fair. It,
1: it does have an invuln save, but it's thirty two wounds. Yeah, that's, that's so a lot. It, it covers a lot of board range. But the thing is, is it since there's no blast weapons anymore, you would basically point and delete a unit. But if you're pointing and deleting a swarm, you know, shooting six really high power, you know, strength twelve shots at at an orc mob, it's like Hurrah! You know, it's like you're not you're not really doing that much actual damage with something that costs you 1,200 points to put on the board. That's true. Uh, you could and, kill uh,
0: another revenant, though.
1: Yeah, if if you line up against another titan, you're gonna you're gonna do pretty well against it. But you know, it's it's that's I'm I'm really excited to see what happens with people bringing titans and townars and and all that jazz too, because they might be really good. They might just sit there and you know, I don't know. We'll we'll see. I, that's we'll see how that goes, but. Uh, I know Tony had some really close games. I'm trying to look at his record right now to see.
0: Yeah, I I think the worst... I I think uh, the Taunar and the Revenant Titan and maybe the Tyranid Bow Titan, but I doubt it. I think those two knights, those two Titans in particular, aren't going to do as well in tournaments as like a Chaos or Imperial Warhound Titan uh, in events because those get access to really cheap troops um, in the form of brimstone horrors and conscripts. Uh, so, I, you know, like uh, a list with one warhound titan and like 200 brimstone horrors is not out of the question. Uh, that's a very real list and 200 brimstone horrors are hard to kill for anyone. Um, so, I could definitely see the knight killing the things that kill it and then killing the things that kill brimstone horrors. And then that's it. That's all, and then and then that's all she wrote. And then the Brimstones kind of just do their thing. Um, so that might be a really terrifying list. So th- for those of you who have those Titans, if you have, like, the hero Hierophant uh, for Tyranids or, or the Chaos or, or Imperial Warhound, and you have those large bodies, and you wanted to run those competitively, I would say that those are a good starting point for your list. Um, and then the next thing you probably want to do is you want to take something that's really good at close combat and... Um, something that can really stop your opponent from uh, killing all that huge bubble wrap that you have efficiently in close combat. Um, and then that's it. I think that's a, they will be really simple lists. Um, and I think you're right, Paul, I think it'll be really interesting to see people bring, to see what they can brew up.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited about the way things are shaping up to be.
0: Um,
1: and I just looked at it. It's it actually uh, Tony tied against John Johnston with his orcs. <laughs> Tony's list was basically the Revenant Titan, uh a Wave Serpent and a Farseer and I think he had Dire Avengers. he had because uh, it was two detachments so that's probably what he did. He had a probably a patrol and then the uh the Revenant the Titan.
0: Yeah. Yeah, now you can you can put powers on them, right? So you can give the Titan like Fortune and uh and the the one that gives them feel no pain. That's actually pretty good.
1: Yeah. That's Especially when it has a four of Envil.
0: Yeah, that's pretty terrifying. Anyways, how did you do, Paul? Uh tell me about the games you played.
1: My first game was against a Eldar player that was playing an aspect host list. He was just trying a little bit of everything, trying to kinda of get his his feet wet with eighth edition. Um and wasn't ready for me to be up in his face with all the uh, the tau shooting. Um he had he had some Guardians, he had some Dire Avengers, had some swooping hawks, um, had a Falcon and Wave Serpent. Oh, and he had ten warp spiders. <laughs> and warp spiders are, are dialed back a little bit, which I can't say I'm upset about. Um my, I think my, my, my favorite part of the game was when Long Strike I set up it was there's a bunch of uh it was like craggy looking terrain, and uh, I set it up so long strike could only see the far and shot across the board and sniped out the Farseer.
0: Oh, man. <laughs> Longstrike's like, I got you
1: now. Yeah, he's, he's like, I, I asked him, I said, you have a four-up save on the Farseer still? He's like, yeah. I was like, okay, I'm going to take a shot against it, rolled a, rolled a two to hit, which is, you know, Longstrike still hits on that, and then got the six for the mortal wound and just blasted him.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yikes. That's so that was funny. pretty
1: awesome. uh, Second game was against another Tau player, uh, playing a ton of he had four squads of four strike teams two ghost kills and two squads of pathfinders all full all of them had marker drones um, and then he had oh and he had three hammerheads he had long strike and two other uh, railheads and so I was I was a little terrified going into that with uh, running suit a lot of suits and then just having long strike in the back but um, I was able to set up so long strike couldn't be seen by the hammerheads first turn. And then, uh, got my suits down, got the stealth team all up in his business and, and dropped within Melta range on the, uh, on the hammerheads and took out long strike. Nice. Uh, then just started picking off his other hammerheads one by one. Um, the troops gave me a lot of issue, but, uh, I, I think uh, people are gonna be a little shocked to find out that, uh, tar- tower, are of various salty army nowadays. Um, Constantly being an assault. Every single game, I'm I'm the one assaulting. Really, it's really to look at uh, using Farsight. Especially, I saw my third game was against another Tau player too. So I, I fought two other Tau players, and uh, he used uh, Farsight against me. And giving him the giving Farsight the Warlord trait for a plus one attack makes Farsight pretty terrifying. Oh yeah. I mean, he hits on twos. He has five attacks, and uh, he's strength five and minus four. Does D three wounds?
0: Oh my gosh, that's actually really good. That's he a. Has a four
1: and six wounds, and he's a character. I, I couldn't kill Firesight in the end because he hid behind a single Fire Warrior.
0: <laughs> he's like,
1: protect me. So I'll get in front, buddy. So <laughs> but uh, so I, I was said set- I pulled a long strike up to the middle of the board, and I was trying to. I was like, I'm gonna- I'm gonna do this again. Second time this turn, I'm going to use long strike and just blast the opponent's warlord. And, uh, he parked the fire warrior in front. I was like, I can't shoot past him. Can I? And I didn't have the long range dakka to take the fire warrior out first. That's so and funny. So he long strike up closer. Farsight jumped over and assaulted long strike the next turn. And, uh, I was shaking my boots cause that would have actually lost me the game as, as it turned out, it went to turn six and I was able to, uh, to take out long strike from there. And basically just moved back and shot him, but that was the closest game of eighth edition I've had so far. Nice. And it was Tau on Tau violence.
0: That's crazy. That that's actually that's pretty cool. Um it, it so we got snippets of your tau list. Uh and I know we were talking a little bit earlier and you've got you got some secret secret sauce <laughs> tau stuff going on, and I'm not gonna ruin that for you. Um, but can you give everyone a hint for all those Tau players who who wanna take their tower lists to the next level
1: i'd say that it's uh I, I stuck to kind of kind of my guns on the old stuff and i'm i'm still using the homing beacons and i think people kind of overlooked them a little bit uh, but stealth teams with homing beacons you start pretty close to the enemy and, and stealth are infantry which a lot of people kind of passed up too so when they hide in ruins they have a two up save plus they're minus one to hit but they've got an eight inch move and they a lot of the Tau weapons are assault weapons and you can easily ignore the minus for moving and advancing and shooting assault weapons and, and or just, you know, get past it and just have a ton of, ton of shots on stuff. But stealth teams have a ton of shots and they move eight. And when you advance them, I mean, you're looking at an 11 inch advance. Normally you drop that homing beacon out an inch in front of you. And then your deep strikers become in six inches in front of that. So unless your opponent has a ton of bubble wrap, it's hard to, dodge around three different stealth teams on the board. Hmm.
0: So. That's nice. All right. Now, uh, my tournament, real quick, uh, we did talk about it briefly, uh, Reese and I did on Signals from the Frontline, so if you want to go to that, it was our Monday episode uh, this last past week, um, last Monday. Uh, but basically, I, I played three players. I played uh, an Orc player. Andy has a beautiful Orc army. He has a Where's Waldo Orc. He has an America... Uh, America the great orc he, he's got he's got a ton of orcs and i've got pictures that i'm going to put up online eventually um of his army it's beautiful but uh he essentially ran a trucks like mech speed freak list uh he had a battle wagon he had three trucks he had boys in all of them he had some mega knobs in another truck uh he had a big mech in the battle wagon and then he had a gorkanaut um and then a war boss and a pain boy and a big mech on a bike with the custom force field uh, and some storm boys, a lot of storm boys. Um, so it was very much an in your face orc army. Uh, I brought to the tournament. I brought uh, a devastator list that I've been working on for a while now. Um, it's not optimized yet, but it, it's it's Gilliman, uh, four units of devastators with tons of missile launchers and las cannons in rhinos to protect them from turn one alpha strikes. A unit of six scouts to really bubble wrap. And uh, I know, I know, Paul, I know you're talking about. Um, getting away from stealth suits and bubble wrapping but scouts are i think one of the best bubble wrap units in the game uh they're cheap and they can infiltrate so if you put them 18 inches or 17 and a half inches away from the units you don't want to get shot uh, your opponent has to deploy then another nine inches beyond the scouts um and then you know you're looking at like uh 20 you know well out of grab range well out of melter range for sure um And obviously out of Assault Range. So you can really use even just six Scouts. If you deploy in the corner, you can really use those six Scouts to push your opponent back. um, And give you the time you need to kill them. Uh, Right. So Scouts are really good. Uh, And then I brought Laius Isidon from Forge World. And what he does is he deep strikes three infantry units. So not Primaris, not Centurions, not Terminators. Um, And then he deep strikes with them. So you pick three units and you infiltrate with them and he gives them all re-roll to hit rolls. Um, and he's also a beast himself. He's got his gun malice, which is a 30 inch, uh, assault three rend four, D three damage bolter. Wow. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's actually really funny. It actually, um, it sniped two mega knobs, two mega knobs are charge. We're going to charge my scout bubble wrap, um, and pretty much wipe it out and get closer to my army. Uh, and then, you know, uh, Lias Ison is like here hold my beer pop pop you know minus four. Oh, and it ignores cover too and they were in cover um so they, they only had a six up save and then he rolled a five and a six and did three damage each of them and just killed them both I imagine with headshots like a pro and then he's dropping down with three units of heavy bolter devastators um and that's just kind of like a mobile firebase that I can put anywhere um and then he gives them reroll to hit rolls because they're raptors and they're not ultramarines um and then I've got Gilliman, of course. Uh, you can't have, can't not have Gilliman uh, in an Ultramarines list. And then you, I brought two quad more or quad heavy bolter rapier batteries, which were actually really terrible. Um, so I don't think I'm going to bring them again. And that's it. And oh, and then a, pot, uh, a company ancient. So on a four plus, every marine within six inches of the ancient, when it died on a four plus, they get to shoot again, uh, which is pretty cool so good oh yeah it's still crazy i actually there was uh one point in in the orc game when he killed the rhino and the guys got out and two last cannons or i rolled two ones and i killed two last cannons and then i rolled two four ups and both of the last cannons shot and blew up a truck when they died which i thought was hilarious um i, I think i'm gonna bring put an apothecary back in the list Cause i think i did like the idea of an apothecary bringing them back and then kind of having that mechanic go back and forth it's really cute it's not super efficient um but i think if you do it right i think you can turn out to be really powerful um in the right kind of setting so i think i'm gonna mess with that a little bit more uh ter- game two i played brandon grant the uh number three itc player in the world last year uh, for the last itc season a phenomenal player dominated the itc last year uh, he played, uh, he stuck, went back to his guard roots. He brought a uh, hundred, a hundred and twenty conscripts, four infantry squads with last cannons, and then a vulture and two vendettas, and uh, um, two manticores and two basilisks. And, that, and then, of, of course, a ton of commissars to make them all fearless. Um, and then, commissar Yark to give everyone re-rolled hit rolls of one. Uh, and then he brought also Tempestus Scions deep-striking down and Tempestus, three Tempestus Scion command squads, each with Plasma Guns <laughs> deep-striking down. It was it was an absolutely nasty list. Um, but we played kill points, and uh, essentially, I, I just I didn't have the bodies. I killed the Flyers real quickly, because uh, they're they very easy to kill, and um, they didn't really do a lot. So I, pretty much turn one, I killed two Flyers and made the other one basically worthless, Uh, And then his Manticores and Basilis sniped out a bunch of things out of line of sight, uh, took out my rapier batteries, um, which enabled me to stop killing his bubble wrap. Uh, And then what ended up happening was uh, Gilliman just got, you know, lost in a sea of conscripts. He didn't put a single wound on Gilliman all game, um, but he hid all of his vehicles behind ruins and out of line of sight, so I couldn't kill them. Um, So essentially it was just my Devastators versus a sea of bodies. Um, and I eventually lost. Barely. Hmm. Uh, and then finally I played Reese, Um And Reese's game was very sad. Uh, basically, Eldari with the Strength from Death rule. Um, he uh, moved, he he ran, it was Relic. So he ran two Wraith Lords, rolled a 6 for both of their run moves. Moved them in front of the Relic. And then moved his Jump Pack Autark onto the Relic. And then I couldn't kill both Wraith Lords. And I found out, because he'd forgotten, if I had killed a Wraith Lord then he would have just strength from death and moved 9 inches back behind the Wraith guard that he had up there. Um, and then behind the Wraith guard were a line-of-sight blocking piece of ITC terrain, uh, and then behind that was a Wraith knight who was just, you know, shooting my guys. It, w- it was very, very unfun. I ended, up, um, I ended up nearly tabling him. The Wraith knight made a ridiculous amount of saves. Um, but, of course, I was never going to win the game. Uh, because the Autark was just so far back with the Relic by turn two, uh, just from the Strength from Death roll, and just from you know being an Autark and moving nine inches. Um, so I, I definitely wasn't going to win that game. I couldn't get up the board to the Autark. Uh, and then what ended up happening was I just killed all the Wraith Guard, all the Wraith Lords. I brought the Wraith Knight down to a respectable wound count, and then Gilliman's just running up the battlefield trying to get the Autark, and he takes two Wraith Cannons to the face, gets back up, and then takes another Wraith Cannon to the face and dies. So, anyways, so goes. So I ended up going one and two. Um, but I definitely see the power behind the Devastator Ultramarine, the Devastator Space marine lists, um and just spamming heavy weapons. You think that's going to be a, a tactic that pulls it through, though? I don't know. I hope so. Uh, I'm still. I know a lot of people aren't sold on them, but I still really like missile launchers. I think I'm going to stick with missile launchers. Um, they they double as horde killing. They're they're just as good at killing, uh, knights and stuff with Gilliman. They're, like, they, I mean, obviously not as good as the last cannon, but they're, they're good enough. Um, they're serviceable weapons, uh, and obviously the D6, Strength 4, re-rolling to hit and to wound shots is really good, um, especially when you have eight of them. So, I, I think, I think the hardest thing about armies like that right now are armies that can kill your Marines quickly. Uh, and there's a bunch. There's a bunch of armies that can just flat-out delete Marine squads. Um, so as long as those armies are not able to go first automatically, they won't be as popular um, but if more people adopt the ITC change, which is that you get plus one to your role to go first instead of just automatically going first, um, I think you're going to see a lot more of them because they are really they're really strong fire bases uh, they have a lot of versatility you can't charge them because Gilliman's right there waiting for you uh, and they can be pretty mobile and they have a lot of access to a lot of really good Imperium things like Vindicare Assassins, Eversaurs, uh, obviously Lys Isodon, um, and then Conscripts and Commissars. And then uh, Forge. there's a lot of little Forge World good stuff that you can run in there too. Um, so you can build a really diverse firebase uh, that can kill all the targets you need to and then from there you just take little Imperium tools to kit out the army the way you want it to play. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I I think I think it's gonna be pretty good. Gilliman's arguably the best model in the game, hands down. I I don't I don't think a model's single model is better than him right now. Um, but you you could make a debate for like Magnus. Um, so anyways. I could make a debate on how
1: I want to kill both of them.
0: Yeah, well, Magnus is Magnus is so hard to kill. I, I don't even know how you kill Gilliman. There's there's no way. I've never lost Gilliman turn and beyond or before turn three.
1: How many wounds do
0: you have? Nine? He has nine wounds. He has a three-up invuln.
1: And he has Feel No Pain or no?
0: No. He's just, he's just a character, so you can't shoot at him right away. So you have to clear his bubble wrap.
1: Huh. I guess it's the trick, is just trying to punch through the, the bubble wrap in the spot to, to be where you can dump the wounds into him to kill a nine-wound model.
0: Yeah, and, and, that's, and that's hard. And this nine-wound model is, get, also gets back up on a four-plus with a command roll um so it's just he's a hard model to kill <laughs> he's not he always manages to to easily make back his points every game he plays um even though he's 360 points is really expensive
1: that's not too bad i mean when you're talking that a riptide is about that much he's a way bigger force multiplier than a riptide is oh
0: absolutely that's actually yeah that's a fair point um all right, so uh, let's go ahead and move on to the next subject: uh, emails. Uh, you guys have been sending me a ton of email questions. Um, bear with me; I, I, I'm getting a ridiculous amount. Um, But so, if I don't answer your question right away, I apologize. I am trying my absolute best to answer them as quickly as I can. Uh, But uh, I no longer, I'm I'm actually waking up a little later. I'm sleeping in a little bit more um, because I don't have to wake up at six in the morning every day because it's the summertime. Um, So, just bear with me. I'm getting a lot of your questions. Uh, I will answer them. I promise you, I I will answer all of them. Uh, And keep sending them to me. uh, FrontlineGamingPDPAB at gmail.com. And thanks very much. You guys are the best listeners anyone could ask for. Uh, there are thousands and thousands of you spread out throughout the world. I was looking at the stats the other day for my podcast, um, and there's one guy lives in Panama. Uh, if you are listening to this podcast and you live in Panama, right now I am talking to you because you are the only one. Uh, you have been listening to steadily listening to all of my episodes and i wanted to give you specifically panama guy a shout out uh can't be easy being a 40k player in panama i just i i can't imagine that there are a lot of people that play with you uh so glad you listen to my podcast especially a competitive 40k podcast um there's not a, probably not a lot of tournaments in panama either uh, so you are the man or woman you know could be female or male doesn't matter um you're the best so, moving on, uh, what are your predictions for your meta review, Paul? Like, uh, what are your predictions for the way the meta is going to shake out?
1: That is a uh, that is a really fun question. Um, I don't think that there truly is a meta yet. I think uh, everything and every army has a, a spot in this game. And I think that uh, it's, it's pretty well balanced to make sure that there is nothing that really shines and, and glares above Anything else? Um, I think everything. I, I, I think we're at a, a pretty even playing field, which is, is I've been playing forty k for twenty years almost now, and I've never seen it as on par every unit and every codex as it is right now. Nice. So i I think it's a I think it's any man's game at this point.
0: Uh, I think I think you're very right. Um, I also think that you're going to see four different kinds of lists. Uh, I think you're going to see hyper elite you know, uh, hyper-elite armies that, that minimize drops. Things like Knight Armies, um, maybe Grey Knights, uh, Space Marines, some Space Marine lists, um, Tau lists. Uh, they're just basically hyper-elite armies that focus on very, very specific power shooting. Uh, and then I think you're also going to see the opposite of that, Horde armies are going to be very, very popular. They're going to be an archetype. And then I think you're also going to see um, Mech armies. So, so maybe not Maybe like a clever mix of Horde and the Hyper Elite, but like mech armies, like mech spam, like Venom spam, Starweaver spam, uh, twin Link Razorback Assault spam, Taurox spam. Um, uh, there, there's a bunch. I, I think I'm missing a couple, but those are the big ones I can think of. Uh, that's going to be a list archetype. And then I think you're going to finally see, and this is my favorite list archetype, the balanced list, the the one that maybe takes a couple elements of those, but realizes that there's a, ro- a hardcore rock-paper-scissor game going on right now. Um, And uh, those three, I think, are the rock, paper, and the scissors, because I think those three beat each other, um, because the elite armies that have the really good shooting and that go first can kill the mech spam armies, but the mech spam armies, in return, kill the horde armies um, because they have such efficient power shooting, and the horde armies can't really hurt them back, and they have the models to be able to deal with the horde armies. And, of course, the horde armies just destroy, like, the knight armies and, you know, like, the, the really hyper elite armies that can't shoot 400 brimstones off the board. Um, So I think balance lists are going to be the way to go because um, you're going to need to be able to beat rock and paper instead of just losing to one and auto-beating the other. So Fair. anyways, I think that's where the meta is right now. And then finally, Paul, let's talk about the Best Ghost Pairings Player app because we've, we've mentioned it a few times, we've talked about some of this stuff, and I imagine it might have been a little bit of confusing for people who don't have the BCP app. So um, just go ahead and explain that app for anyone who doesn't know what it is?
1: Well, I guess I mean it all starts with the uh, the Vesco's Pairings Tournament Organizer, which is our uh, handy-dandy tool we came up with about a year and a half ago to run tournaments, which makes the, the TO's job much easier and gives them the chance to really enjoy running the tournament and not always worried about inputting scores or doing spreadsheets or anything like that. It's all done through our iOS interface. And the cool thing we came out with at uh, LVO this year was the player app which we're over 5,000 downloads now, which is, is pretty awesome to see. But the uh, the player app actually lets players enter their scores and their lists so that all the players at the tournament and anyone who's a BCP subscriber can see any lists that are put into it. And then you can also drill back through and see all the data, for all the games that have gone on in the BCP system all the way back to the very beginning. And um, the BCP player app is basically, it's our... our it's our end game for for BCP is to create this tool that's going to give players the ability to actually see a meta and see a meta in a – like I'm getting ready to go to the Wet Coast GT this, this next weekend. And I'm looking at the uh, guys who are up there at Boise. It's close to to Wet Coast. I might be some, seeing some of those lists. And so – I wouldn't be uh, be honest with you if I wasn't getting ready to to fight a bunch of storm storm ravens and some storm hawks in the the list up there, and you know, kind of looking at what the guys are playing up there and what what their mindset is on list building and kind of using that to cater myself towards what I'm going to see at the wet coast. So, it's it's a really useful tool that we're putting together that's going to allow players to up their game and not only just up their game just for their local, but I mean, everyone across the world will be able to see what the meta is and what it really what's what people, the power players are using to win. And we're even getting into the 8th the, uh, edition missions where you can actually see the deployment the players are using. And I, our, we BCP is completely caught up now, so we fully run the 8th edition missions right out of the book. Nice. On top of that, we still have the, uh, the old uh, mission sets in there, the old ITC missions if you still want to stick with them or um, – even the uh, Nova and Renegade missions are all still in there where you can just do generic scoring. And so there's really, uh, really we want to see people using the 8th edition missions and they are set up to be fully uh, ITC compliant with the new packet. But it also works with, I mean, just you can run it straight like BRB and it's still a way to make the BRB work as a competitive tournament format. Because there is some, some things that had to be tweaked like to make it an even platform all the way across all six missions. And so we, we were able to get that put together the same way ITC did. And it's kind of a, a merging of the minds to make that, that happen. But really happy to say it's in there. And uh, the BCP player app is a great tool to work along with it so that the TOs don't have to worry about inputting scores. The players all do it right through their phone. And TO gets to just do the fun thing, which is watch the games and talk to people and not worry about doing all the little tedious tasks you have to do to run the tournament.
0: Okay. So how do we, how does a TO sign up their event onto the BCP app?
1: So all it is is just making a login into the uh, the app and hitting create event and load the info that you need to to like date, time, name of the event and uh, what kind of, if it's an ITC event or if it's not and just hit publish. I mean, that's it and the event's good to go. You start loading players into the roster and when everything's ready to go, you start the pairings.
0: Nice. Um, so... There, there's a, obviously I brought Paul on because he's a phenomenal towel player. Um, but the other thing I wanted them to talk about was this BCP app. Uh, and for those of you who are, haven't started using yet using it yet, uh, I, I suggest you do. I suggest you go on to the uh, BCP app. you don't have to help them, although I know that would help them tremendously. Um, but it, it's, it's just it's an important tool. Uh, for furthering the game of 40k in general, uh, not just a competitive scene, um, not just the casual scene, the narrative scene, but just the game in whole. Because if GW looks at the PCP app, uh, they can see those stats, and they can see, okay, people are running a lot of Space Marines, people are running a lot of Storm Ravens in particular. Like, why is that? Like, why, why are our Warp Spider sales down all of a sudden? You know, like what, what's what's trending, what's not trending, um, and then GW can really capitalize on that. Uh, monetarily as well as to our benefit from a balance standpoint right because the the first big the, the first big step for any large league um, like the LCS or the NFL or um, uh, Bl- Blizzard Starcraft League or any any of those big leagues um, is having that that data and those stats um, and that's, that's very important because you, you want to be able to see trends. You want to be able to see what other people are running. You want to see the human aspect of it. Um, and that, that, that's good for growth, right? Uh, so just uh, knowledge is power. Um, and I think that the BCP app is a big step in this direction. And uh, I'd just like to, from the bottom of my heart, thank the BCP team for creating an app like this because it's something that was sorely needed in the tournament community. Well we we
1: are never finished. I mean that's our there's four of us and we work every single night on this thing. I mean it's it really is a it's a labor of love and I mean it's it's because we're players too and we, we sometimes we might get a little behind on emails because we're we're busy building stuff or connecting with people, working with TOs to make you know stuff happen. So sometimes sometimes I'm a couple days behind on responding to emails, but we try to be as on top of it as possible, but it's because we're always working on this. Um, it's testing stuff and, and finding bugs and every time we change some, one little thing it might change something else further down the code line and so it's just always uh, working to make sure it's the best product we can to uh, make everyone use it and we're just hitting the, the tip of the iceberg when it comes to what we're going to be able to do with the player app uh, I can't say too much but we got some really nifty things that are becoming, coming down and it really is the more we have people using it the more people that want to subscribe um, the the faster we can build these tools and make it so that uh, everyone has some some real solid data they can work off of. And uh, what I mean, I, it, I get excited because as a player, I want to see this stuff too. So it's not like I have some little secret cache yet. We just haven't finished building the tools yet. But um, we'll have basically two years worth of data we can come through. I know a lot of the seventh ed stuff isn't relevant anymore, but starting off with eighth ed, we're gonna have any data that's caught in there is going to be super relevant to seeing how things pan out in the game overall. So it's exciting stuff. But then on, on top of that, it's the tools that we have that make it easier for the players and the TOs themselves at the events. Um, things that we have coming down the pipeline that will maybe uh, pop up on your screen, telling you when things happen. One of the big, upgrades we just did is we switched to a different style of server so now everything's real time across the app so if i make any changes in the to app it's going to show on your your player app without you having to actually refresh the screen and vice versa which is really awesome especially if you're an event that has like a tv monitor display that has all the pairings up Uh, as someone records results it's going to pop up on the screen or maybe if you're streaming something and want to see uh how that is going across and as events come in not just necessarily on the game that you're watching. So, lots of really cool things we got coming down the pipeline with it. Nice. Um, and then the biggest thing is that we did launch the subscription service. We've kind of been in the background on it, and the subscription service does allow you to go through and see all of the all the data we have so far. Um, and the really nifty way thing we have incentivized players with on that is that subscribers get access to the BCP store, which we give you a thousand points a month to to use, and we have several retailers we're working with that. You can get discounts to their stores, and on top of that, you can even just get discounts off of uh, tickets to BCP events. So you can get between 5 and 10% off to your next uh, ticket purchase, like for the BAO or for L, uh, not LVO, but uh, SoCal Open, just by being a, 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 a BCP member. So it tries to pay for itself just with the uh, advantages we can give you and how much better we can make your game.
0: Nice. Alright guys, so we're going to go ahead and go to commercial break now. Uh, Paul, thank you very much for talking about the Best Coast Player, player app. Um, go ahead and I will cl- put a link down to the BCP website um, for more information if you're interested in that on my uh, blog FrontlineGaming.org for the show notes for this episode. Uh, after this commercial break, we're going to go into Xenos 2 and some of the competitive options in that book. Yo, get off the computer. I need to check eBay. I got an auction ending soon. Wait, what are you doing on the computer? I'm just buying some minis online.
1: Are you saving money?
0: Nah, dude, saving clicks. Time is money, right? Hey, what the
1: heck was that for? Dude, you got to buy from Frontline Gaming. They offer savings on
0: minis every single day. Whoa, that's better than saving clicks. With all that savings, I could take a few days off of work so I can paint these minis. Ow! you got to stop that. It hurts.
1: You know what hurts? Spending three weeks base-coding models. Save yourself some pain and get them painted by Frontline Gaming's painting studio. You know
0: what? You've got all the answers. That's why I'm glad you're my best friend. I don't know what I'd do without you.
1: I could never hurt you. What are you looking up on eBay? I'm uh, selling a bunch of old models.
0: Don't really use them anymore. Why aren't you going through Frontline Gaming's second-hand store? You can get money or store credit i think you broke my nose i don't like your tone mister so i'm just gonna say this head over to frontlinegaming.org for more details and we're back hello everyone once again pd pop and paul say hi all right so we're going to talk about the xenos 2 book um I, I've, I've been actually, I'm not going to lie, I've been reading through this book um, non-stop while I've been recording the episode and a little bit before it. Uh, so uh, let's start with orcs. Let's, let's just go down the line on faction by faction. Uh, Paul, first impression, what do you, have you played against any orcs yet? I have not, but I have watched a couple of orc games now. Okay. All right. So, so what's your kind of first impression about orcs?
1: Scary. Lots of bodies, lots of bodies. The ability to move uh, an entire squad across the board is a big thing, um, and I think that they have that uh, that really good mix of having a mob with that can also be mixed with a lot of vehicles, which makes for some uh, some pretty crazy dynamics. And especially with, with you know against my army, I, I'm a deep strike based army, so those mobs can give a lot of board control and push me back to where I don't want to be. You know. And uh, that's it's a little bit a little bit terrifying for me to have to deal with that because I have to deal with both the vehicles and and the mob and if you take out the mob then you got the vehicle it's just a you got kind of a lose lose situation there.
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think I think you said it best. I, I think the name of the game with orc lists now, and I think people would agree with me that this is very Orky. Um, orcs are definitely all about bullying you and uh, board control and pushing you off of things. Uh, Gone are the days where you have to run like a Stompa with a lot of shooting and uh, like a mini orc Star um, and kind of like killing key units and sniping characters. I think they're very much now a a big Horde-centric army. Um, Looking at their HQ choices, war bosses aren't as good as they used to be. Uh, the the Wa rule is cool because they can advance and charge, which which is actually really cute. But they already get to reroll charges with here we go, um, their special rule, their army wide special rule. And I don't know if you want to be charging with orcs every single time. I think the the beauty behind orcs is to uh, force your opponent off of things and threaten charges. Um, and, and kind of just position yourself up for one great big charge instead of getting into your opponent as aggressively as possible. Because as I've seen with a lot, of orc play, a lot of orc games that I've seen, is if the orc player is really aggressive early on, they start to get models out of position, and they eventually start to lose their, their uh, horde cohesiveness. Um, because if you, any bubble wrap unit, any horde army, the, the more you expand out onto the board, the more holes that start to open up, and the easier it is to beat that army. Um, but if you have a bubble wrap army that's tightly packed in one corner, it, it'll be impossible to really break through it. Um, and that's kind of why the horde mentality in orcs is, is a little bit counterproductive. Um, so I think that's why war bosses aren't the best choice. Uh, now big mechs on the other end, or just big mechs with custom force fields, definitely the way to go. They they give your orcs within six inches uh, within actually within nine inches a five up invuln save so you're always guaranteed a five up invuln save and on top of that uh you can take your pain boys uh which on a six plus ignore wounds um so you can very quickly i I know orcs don't have great saves uh and their saves usually get ignored quickly but a five up invuln followed by six up wound times 40 boys becomes actually pretty more durable and silly uh as your opponent starts shooting into them especially when you when you have things that normally deal with hordes things like conscripts rapid firing force lasgun shots into orcs or like hurricane bolters things that aren't really that re- really aren't super great at killing t4 bodies but have to be spammed to kill large amounts of uh, bodies and boys uh they they start to get way less efficient with a uh, big mech and a pain boy so I think their HQ choices. I think those are the way to go, and I think unfortunately war bosses are are gone in terms of uh, being competitive a competitive choice. But some of you might disagree with me, and that's perfectly okay. Uh, looking at their elite choices, there's not. I think Burna boys are really good just because they they don't they're not like normal flamers where they do D6 automatic hits because that would be really 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 good. Could you imagine, you know, ten Burna boys doing 10 D6 auto hits out of a truck. That's pretty terrifying. That's that's rough. So they do D3. They're assault D3. Um, so you can advance with them and assault D3 shots with them. Uh, and they're strength four, one damage. Uh, so they are relatively tame, but still very, very, very good at killing hordes. Uh, so that that's just... burner boys and trucks are pretty good. Uh, Tank busters are still not bad. Uh, they're still really good at spamming shots. But I did want to focus on one particular thing. I actually don't think yet. It's a flyer, uh, the Obama.
1: Do you Ooh. know what the Obama does? I have not looked at that yet, but I've always been a fan of the work flyers.
0: Oh, yeah. So so it's not very durable. It's only T6, uh, 12 wounds with a 4-up save. But it, it's pretty cost-efficient. It, it comes with 12 big shooter shots, so 12 essentially heavy bolter shots without the AP-1. Um, and then some missiles uh, that ignore cover that are salty six and a Super Shooter, which essentially has a lot of Daka. There's a lot of Daka to start with. And then it has its burn bomb which is uh, you can drop a burn bomb as it flies over enemy units in its movement phase. After the burn bomb has moved, pick one enemy unit that it flew over and roll a D6 for each model in that unit, uh, up to a maximum of 10 dice. And then on a 5+, plus, you do a Mortal Wound to that unit. And if they're an infantry, on a 4+, you do a Mortal Wound to that unit. So you can essentially roll... Up to ten dice, and for every four up, you deal mortal wound to a unit. Um, that's it's not great for dealing with hordes, but it's really, really good at dealing with things like marines, uh, stern guard, primaris marines, terminators, um, necron immortals, uh, elite units. Essentially, uh, being able to move over any of them and just flat out de- dropping like four or three mortal wounds is, is actually really good.
1: Well, it's not too bad. I mean, you, you figure that. Just for moving over a unit, you're going to kill... I mean, if it's a squad of 10 guys, you're going to kill five of them. Yep. I mean, that's that's not bad. I mean, if, if you're telling me that... I mean, let's talk about just, look, your Devastators. I mean, if you had you had six squads of Devastators, or four squads in the list you just played.
0: Uh, say that again?
1: And the, the Devastators you had in the army you had at the tournament
0: last weekend? Oh, there were five band squads. But they, you know, I mean...
1: Well, still, I mean, the the big pro to them is you can put them in cover, and this thing just flies over and goes. I don't care if you're in cover, right? You know, we're the, yeah. gonna are gonna get bombed out. I mean, that's that's pretty wicked, actually. How many uh, points is that bad boy?
0: I'm actually looking for that. Right, actually, I'll let you look for that uh, while I go through the rest of the orcs, uh, and then um, war bikers are, are still pretty solid. Uh, they they are two wounds, T five. Uh, they they're really good um, because of their uh, daca guns. So you can you can pretty much spam. I think they come with two dock guns each. Yes, uh, Warbike comes with two dock guns each. So essentially, you have six shots per war biker. They're still fairly costed uh, in terms of what they do, and they're they're tough. They're durable. Um, and then Reese is doing pretty well with uh, mech guns, grot uh, mech guns. Uh, just a variety of them. Uh, they're all 36 inch range, but they're uh, they're artillery. Um, so then the Grots are very hard to kill. They need to be the closest model to shoot at them. Um, and I think a combination of boys and mech guns is really good. And then finally, in the heavy support slot, we have the dreaded, the infamous Killican. No, not the Death Dreads, not the Morkonaut, not the Gorkonaut. Uh Killicans are terrifying. Uh, you can stand behind them with a waa banner, with a, an orc carrying a waa banner, uh, and you can just spam a lot of them. Uh, they're not super durable; they're only T5 with five wounds, but they have a three-up save, so so they're they're the they're T5 with a three-up save, which is for or, by orc standards pretty good. Uh, and then you can give them. Uh, rocket launches, mega blastas. they have good close combat attacks, you know, they have uh, strength 8, Ren 3 three damage close combat attacks, they have 3 attacks, so that, that's pretty good. Uh, so if you watch our Frontline Gaming po- uh, battle reports, and, and you kind of follow Reese's Orc Army, he actually just got a new Killican army, and he runs 13 of these, uh, with the wa banners behind them, and then he just runs them at the board at you, and it's just, it's so many 3-up save, T5, 5-wound bodies, that you just you you can't kill them all and they're they're going really fast. Um, he does run a warboss and I think in that case a warboss is solid, but I think a bunch of killicans backed by a huge orc horde and um, some mech guns, some really cheap mech guns, I think that's a terrifying orc list that you have to look at and worry about.
1: Yeah. I Means three attacks each and that's that it's that three up with the the five the five wounds is hard to hard to deal through. My one of my my biggest losses so far in Eighth Edition was to basically paladins because they're they're tough to get through with that their invuln save and then uh, having multi wounds multi wounds on on models now is I mean it, it really bounced out some of these higher heavier hitting guns like meltas and things like that like I'm looking at if I shoot a melter at that killer can I mean there's I could kill it in one shot but probably not I'm going I'm going to hurt it but it doesn't degrade like some of the bigger guys do, so it's still coming at me with its full power, after, even after taking a melted to the face. That's that's pretty scary.
0: So, looks like the Blitzabama is under a hundred and fifty points.
1: Oh yeah, it's like one hundred and thirty-five or something yeah, like
0: that. Yeah, it's one. Yeah, it it is, it is low. That that's actually. So you could you could fly several blitzabombas over a unit and um, just you know bring it down through attrition. Uh, so actually, all I think all the bombers have that kind of mechanic. So that's that's actually pretty good. Uh, and then I'm looking at killicans now. killicans look like they're 31 points each um, plus all their weapons. So I mean I can't imagine they're more than 70 points. Yeah, that's pretty good yeah yeah that's that's less than twenty points a wound um if they're less than hundred points what they should be uh so that's that's pretty good uh knight efficiency the shooty knights who are really really wound efficient they're twenty four points a wound just to give you a rough idea of how of how um good they are so yeah Killicans. there you have it orcs orc players there you go that's what you need to run uh a- anyways i think i think the nature of the beast <laughs> um for orcs, is, I think the Killicans, Big Macs, orcs, custom force field, just taking advantage of multiple layering buffs and then taking advantage of their wounds efficiency. Uh, and then um, if you have a really hard hitting unit, like a, maybe a unit of Mega Knobs, uh, the, you might want to consider like teleporting that with the bit with the jump, that psychic power with a weird boy. I don't think it's necessary, um, but it might be really good if you really want to put pressure on your opponent.
1: They have some really orky weapons, too. Like, uh, I'm looking at the flash kits, and you got, you got a heavy three weapon with strength five, AP minus two. And, uh, you're, you're I mean, you're talking 27 points apiece for these guys, but that's still, it's 135 points for a squad of five of them. But you throw them in a vehicle, that's open-topped. I mean, that's actually a, that's a scary weapon coming at you. Yeah,
0: strength five, AP two, one damage. Yeah, it's pretty scary. And you could just you could just jump them over there, you could, you know if you, you could just jump them in a position so they're doing damage right away. I mean, three strength five AP two attacks is is not bad, uh, especially because they're hitting on four pluses and not uh, five pluses like normal orcs. So if they survive a turn of shooting, that that's pretty good. Then they they have two wounds each, um. So oh, wow, you see that? Yeah. Yeah. That's... So they're a little more durable than the normal orc.
1: Wow. Yeah, that's that's pretty. Uh, I mean, six plus save, but I mean, it works. But you don't want that getting teleported into your backline. That's that's gonna hurt you pretty bad.
0: No, no, and it'll take out it'll take out key units. It'll, it'll disrupt you, um, and I'm sure it'll be annoying long enough for your opponent to uh, get more more scarier things like kill a cans in your face. Um, anyways, let's move on to the next faction. Next faction is Tau. Uh, I I'm I'm sort of familiar with Tau. Uh, all I know about Tau Paul, and correct me if I'm wrong, is uh, Hammerhead is pretty good at buffing uh, other Hammerheads. So Tau vehicle hunting is back, um, and Tau commanders are terrifying.
1: Uh, yeah, Tau commanders are terrifying. They, uh, I, I, I don't, I can't subscribe to the the mindset I've seen a lot of people throwing around about spamming a bunch of them. Uh, there's just too much other good stuff that the Tau have now. Um, but they are point for point, probably one of the best tank hunters in the game. I mean, you can put four meltas on them for one hundred and sixty points at Bliss skill five. You throw one marker light at them, and you're rerolling once, so you're pretty much always going to hit. And then if uh, you're doing that along with some stealth teams, there, I mean, you can get those inside melter range on the first turn, and you're rerolling those that d six damage, and a minus four pretty much cuts right through everything. So, oh, yeah. I mean, it's their Tau, Tau Commanders are pretty scary. I mean, I, but I'm looking at, in my list, I can't, I'm, I'm not going to run, I'm, I'm going to run one of the Melted Commanders, but I, I'm, I'm also using Cold Star too, which is, it's really fun to see that guy have, have a use. Uh, the Cold Star Commander being able to advance, or it basically goes 40 inches a turn and has a Assault 8 uh, Burst Cannon and a Missile Pod. You throw the advanced targeting system on him; it gives him a AP minus one on both weapons. So you got eight shots, hitting on twos, wounding most things in the game on a three up. But anything—I mean, worst case scenario—is wounding on a five up, and it's ran minus one. it, it, it doesn't damage by itself. It's real. I, I think he's the best uh, character assassin that uh, the Tao have.
0: Oh, because he could just go right next to a character and shoot it up. Yep. And then so he's
1: not going to detract behind you, but he's going to. Fly across the board and be up in your business. Hmm. Um, I, I, I feel the ethereals are a little bit a uh, little bit weaker than they were before. I mean, a lot of their their storm of tide power, uh, or I'm sorry, invocation of the elephant elements. Um, it's it's not it's not quite as good, but it still has its place. Uh, the cadre fire blade is a. I mean, that guy's a huge win. Um, Forty two points for a mobile Markerlite, uh, Bliss skill five. That's that's, and on top of that, giving all your fire warriors and drones and, and pathfinders a extra shot at half distance, that's huge.
0: Now, does that affect drones that are embarked onto vehicles with pulse rifles? Nope. Okay. Because
1: they, they count, any, if, anytime you're in a vehicle, they count as being embarked on the vehicle. Anytime you're embarked in a vehicle, you're off the board.
0: <laughs> okay, fair enough. That, that's so, probably for the better.
1: Drones that are on vehicles, though, count as part of the vehicle, which is really neat when you get into things like uh, Longstrike, who has bliss skill 2+. So the drones become part of him and get bliss skill 2+.
0: Hmm. Now, actually, I wanted to bring up something on the Cadre Fireblade. Actually, on the special rule, it says models in SEPT, so TAU units, within 6 inches of any friendly Fireblades may fire an extra shot with pulse pistols, pulse carbines, and pulse rifle, rifles. So, if correct me if I'm wrong, but while while drones are on, like, a hammerhead, don't they just count as part of the hammerhead?
1: Yeah, they count as part of the hammerhead. So,
0: wouldn't Let's, they get the extra shot anyways?
1: Uh, no, because it's... Uh, so, when you if you have drones near a Fireblade and they're not part of the vehicle... While they're part of the vehicle, uh, it actually says that while they're attached to a vehicle, it actually counts like the drone's weapons are part of the vehicle's
0: weapons. Right, right. But the Kadri Fireblade says models in in Tau units within six inches of any Cadre Fireblade may fire an extra shot with those Pulse Rifles, Pulse Carbines, and Pulse. It's pistols. because
1: they're embarked on the vehicle. They're don't actually. they not actually on the board to receive yeah. the buff.
0: What I'm there. saying is they can buff vehicles, too, oh, with okay. Pulse Weapons.
1: You're saying? Because uh, it doesn't say Infantry. Yeah, oh, it doesn't, I guess say, it doesn't say
0: Infantry. It doesn't say just anything. That's interesting. Well,
1: that's pretty awesome. I had actually Yeah, I hadn't read it like that, but you're I, I think you're right. The way I it's. I didn't think about it. the vehicle. Does count as having all those pulse carbines, so that's pretty nifty. Yeah.
0: There you go. Boom.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's pretty wild. Um, I think Farsight's really scary this edition.
0: I agree. Just from what you told me earlier in the podcast. It... Well, the thing is, and I forgot
1: to mention he re rolls ones to hit too.
0: D- oh wow! So, does he give that to everyone with around him?
1: Uh, anyone who, well, it's, uh, he re one to hit in close combat, which for Tau, it's like, woo! But, uh, if it's orcs, it's everything is ones to hit, so even shooting. But, for him, I mean, you use a warlord trait, give him an extra attack, he's up to five attacks, he's kind of basically hit with all of his attacks, and he's strength five, minus four, D3 damage.
0: Yeah, that's so crazy. So
1: he can do potentially 15 damage a turn to something.
0: Yeah, and he also has the Master of War ability, too, so he can... He can uh, do it so you're re-rolling failed hit rolls, um, or you can advance and shoot. That's pretty good. Monka
1: is amazing. Monka yeah. is, is a very powerful tool. Um, Shadow Sun got a, got a buff, too, being able to infiltrate with her drones and everything like that. And It's cool how drones are a second unit now. Um, I, I'm i not going to lie. I was a little excited when I found out that uh, we're going to the power, power points instead of uh, kill points because Tau... <laughs> Be racked in kill points. I mean, there's just you can't play Tau without drones, and every drone becomes a kill point pretty much. So
0: yeah, yeah, it gets it gets pretty. It can get pretty crazy.
1: Yeah, and you, you need the drones out there. Right. The ethereals are, are ethereals. Darkstriders, Darkstriders, a beast too. He's, he, I think he might have gotten point for point the biggest points drop in the game. I mean, he was 100 points before, and now he's 42. Wow. So that that helped him a lot. Strike teams and breach teams basically the same thing. The Cruit got so interesting, it's it's crazy. I, I think uh, a lot of people have glossed it over, but Cruit hounds are they're super awesome. They're four points apiece. Oh. And they're basically almost like like spine gaunts. Um, they're they're strength three, toughness three, uh, but they're Ren minus one, they got two base attacks and they move twelve. So these little guys are all up all up on you really quick. And you get to re-roll your charge distance if the unit they're assaulting has taken any damage this turn. So, like, if you're shooting at them, which your are you're going to be shooting at them. These guys can re-roll their charge, and they're already moving 12. Um, and then, you know, because of the charge mechanics, you get them charging first. At two attacks each, you have 24 or 12 of them in a, in a unit. That's 24 attacks. They hit on threes. And then if you get the shaper within range, he re-rolls uh, ones to wound. Wow. So, they get uh they can get pretty beastly too. I mean you're looking at a, a forty eight point unit taking down what was it? I think three to five marines a turn.
0: Yeah, that's that's crazy. And even even if you get the Cruit shaper within six inches of like crude carnivores, like just the basic Cruit, uh, you know re rolling ones to wound with with their rifles is is really good. Mm-hmm. That's all, all all cheap by the way. That's all dirt cheap. Um, six each. But I didn't actually think the Crute Hounds were... that. That's actually really interesting. I kind of want to see someone run... So they're only four points each, right? Yeah, they're only like four points each. Yeah, I kind of want to see someone run, you know, like 100 of those uh, at, like, a unit, uh, like, 120 conscripts and see what happens.
1: Uh, they'd get overwatched. <laughs> I, think,
0: I think you're right. Um, but
1: uh, I, I'm not going to say that I have 24 Hounds already, but, I mean, they might be seeing the tabletop pretty soon. <laughs>
0: That's interesting. All right, uh, what what else is good? Tell me about tell me about some of the other stuff you like in there.
1: Uh, stealth suits got the biggest bump out of just about anything. They they stayed all actually they stayed exactly the same cost they were in seventh ed. Um, they're infantry, so they take advantage of terrain, and then they are one of the few units in the game now that still has to infiltrate. So you can set them up anywhere on the board during deployment, uh, outside of twelve from an enemy or not in the enemy's deployment zone which that's, that's huge. Uh, so, you know, so all my, my deep strikers obviously go in reserve first as my drops and then start dropping the stealth suits. And then with their hoeing beacon, I can, I can be really on top of someone really fast because they, that eight inch move plus advancing it's, I mean, you're looking at potentially a 14 inch range that I can get that homing beacon. Well, 15 inches cause the homing beacon deploys an inch out that I can get my, my deep strikers in. And stealth suits are not easy to dislodge. I mean, they're a, a two-up save when you're in cover, plus the minus one to hit against them. They're uh, they're pretty tough little guys, and they went up to two wounds instead of uh, and toughness four from toughness three. So they're not they're not anything to be scoffed at. They don't have a ton of firepower, but they still can carry a melta, which a melta is a seriously scary weapon now.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah.
1: Crisis suits are. I think crisis suits suffer big time by the fact that they have to have units of three. Um, If you could take solo crisis suits, I would be all about it. And I'd be playing MSU crisis all over the place, which is why I'm sure they uh, have units of three, but luckily forge world stepped in with the XV nine and you can monot those guys. So
0: yeah, we're not going to talk about forge world this episode, guys. I think forge world deserves its own episode when all of the rules get released. Um, But some of the stuff we've seen so far is really, really terrifying. Um, and it really changes up the meta a lot, especially when all the Forge World stuff finally gets released and people have had it for a couple of weeks. Uh, I think you're going to start seeing some really crazy Forge World stuff come out.
1: Oh, yeah. Ghost Kills got Infiltrate, which is something they needed from the get-go. Uh, Riptides. A lot of people are complaining about Riptides getting nerfed, but Riptides, I think, are really powerful. Just I, I think you need you need a higher point game. Like at 2,000 points, I think you'll start seeing Riptides again. But gone are the days of seeing Riptide Wing dominating the board. I mean, four rip- three Riptides is going to cost you 1,200 points, which is going to make you make it really tough for you to, to win the game. I mean, they they just don't... It's it's too easy to kill something in this edition. So you can focus down on a Riptide and, and take them out with... I mean, really, three Melt-a-Shots can do the job. I mean, it's, which is something you really couldn't do before. Um... Pathfinders are, are super awesome at eight points apiece. Uh, Devilfish. Devilfish are super awesome transports, especially playing breachers. The ability to have them actually act like an APC where they, they charge in first and then your opponent assaults and hope I mean if it's a if it's a non-flying unit, you basically lock them up. And being a toughness seven, twelve wound transport, they're they're hard to kill. I mean, even if your firewares or breachers get in, you back the transport up and then you move the squad and just have them fall back into the transport. It's a, it's, it's a pretty cool way to, to back up and regroup and shoot again. Um, I, I just don't think there's any bad units in the Codex. I think they're all, they all have a place. And then you got my boys, the Vespids that, uh, got incredibly powerful. Uh, and, which is funny cause they're almost exactly the same as they were in seventh, but what it is is just with the increase in crisis suits, bids start shining. When, you, when you've got – you can pick up a squad of five of them for 75 points, and that's 10 shots uh, at strength 5 AP minus 2 at 18 inches. Um, compare that to a crisis with triple plasma, which is the same exact cost, and you start to see, I mean, that that triple plasma crisis. You still need two more crisis – and that's still only going to be 9 wounds versus, if you're doing this equivalent points in Vespids, it's 15 Vespids. Yikes. And 15 Vespids, that's 30 shots of strength 5 AP minus 2 at 18 inches. They can deep strike, and they move 14 base.
0: Yikes. Yeah, that and you're running Vespids, right? So your opponent's naturally just not going to shoot at them from, mm-hmm. from years and years and years of, of target-prioritized training, where you, know, you don't shoot your opponent's Vespids or their Mandrakes. You just ignore them, and laugh.
1: The other thing that people are going to miss on them too is their infantry. Yeah, and that's pretty that good. infantry keyword is huge. Yes.
0: Yeah, They are move through
1: So I'm sorry, you're getting a three-up armor with cover. I should say.
0: That's that's pretty good. Uh, you 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 have to be just all you have to do is be toe in, um, which is which is really strong. Uh, I think you're right. I think Vespids are really good. Um, and then uh, finally, the, the storm surge, yay or nay?
1: Go back and forth on it. Um, I'm going to give it a big pass just because the, the, the thing is, is that it's really tough. I mean, everything can die. So when you're, you're looking at a 440-point investment in a single model, um, it's, that's a hard pill to swallow when uh, it only moves six and has less firepower than a, a rail side when you're looking at it points efficiency wise, um, or I'm sorry, a real, real head, like a, a rail hammerhead. Um, because they don't, I mean, essentially they're going after the same targets. So I'm just gonna, I'm gonna have to give the, uh, storm surge a pass for right now. Doesn't mean I'm not gonna try them out. I don't, I don't have any tabletop experience with them yet. And I think that's the real decider, but, um, I, I haven't picked one up to put in my list yet.
0: All right. Uh, so moving on to Tyranids, uh, I think a lot. You can get a lot of uh, Tyranid analysis from our FrontlineGaming.org, uh, things on Twitch, uh, and our uh, battle reports. Um, but basically, just to summarize, um, and we're going to rush things a little bit here, guys. I actually have to close up here. I got to get. I got to get going somewhere. We've gone a little bit longer in time. That's not a bad thing. Uh, you know, the I think Paul and I have had some really good dialogue. Um, but Tyranids, essentially, uh, I. Played a lot of Tyranids games. I think Tyranids are probably the army I played the most out of any other faction other than Space Marines. Um, I played against the most. I'm sorry. Uh, so, moving away from flyer and spam, uh, Lictors. I actually think Tyranid horde armies are really viable. A buddy of mine, Mike Snyder, from my team Relentless D, uh, did really well at the Boise Cup GT. Made the top ten, uh, and he had essentially a Swarm Lord, a ton of Gene stealers, some Gaunts. And I think a tyrannicide or two, Um, and then I think that was the list. So horde armies. uh, The reason why horde armies and tyrannies are really good is because they have such easy access to fearless hordes. Uh, You just have to take some some warrior primes, and then give gaunts fearless. And on top of that, you can hide a Turbogon somewhere and pop ten more gaunts termagants into a squad if you really need to, or just to regenerate more wounds. Uh, so Tyranids, they're, they're really versatile. They have a huge close combat presence. Um, I know you're probably going to hear a lot of Swarmlord deep, deep striking down into Tyrannosite, uh with Trigon Primes, and then him either moving himself up or moving the Trigon Prime up to a, absolutely delete a unit. And then speaking of Tyrannocytes, they have 5d6, strength 5, rend 1, 1 damage shots that hit on 5s, but th- th- it's crazy. They have 5d6 shots. They, they're insane... Um, they're they're probably one of the better transporting deep striking th- things available. They're definitely put dropods to shame now, because the dropods had the limelight for such a long time. Uh, but tyrannosites I think kind of take it to the next level in this edition. A- and then uh, gene sealers already talked about are really really good. Uh, Paul, have you gotten the chance to play any Tyranid armies?
1: No, but I've just been watching watching the reports for them. They do seem like a force to be reckoned with. Gene sealers are terrifying
0: right and, and in shooting they have they have a lot of good shooting too they have a lot of access to a lot of high strength ap1 shootings shooting spam um in the form of uh warriors can do it uh i think guard are terrible at it uh and then some of their big creatures like carnifexes and stuff all are all really good at it uh so right. i think i think tyranids i i I think the big lists are going to be gene stealers and hordes, uh, combined with swarm Lord and maybe a Moloch or two, cause Molochs are really good for putting mortal wounds on things. As are biovores, biovores can snipe out single wound things that are just lying around out of cover or uh, out of line of sight. Uh, they're a very versatile army, and they're, they're definitely a force to be reckoned with. Um, if you listened to last week's episode with Jeff in Control, we talked more about tyranids, um, so I think we're just going to go ahead and fast forward to Gene Steeler Colt. If you want to hear more about tyranids and Jeff's uh, perspective on them, go ahead and watch last week's episode, link to it in the show notes down below. And then finally, Gene Steeler Colts. Um, I hate to say it, but I think this is the worst army so far in eighth edition. Um, what do you think, Paul? If you had to pick, like, the uh, a worst army.
1: Yeah, I, 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 I haven't seen them on the tabletop, so I really can't uh, can't say anything about it. But, I mean, they it looks like they stayed pretty close to what they were before. Right.
0: <clears throat> and and it's actually it's it's they're very subtle in uh, why they're worse. And I'll tell you why they're worse um, their psychic powers are still solid. They still have uh, their HQs are still solid in close combat um, The problem is is that their bodies are cheap and they are guard They have access to all the good stuff guard has what they don't have access to is cheap fearless conscripts um, They don't have any real leadership buff uh, their acolyte hybrids or I'm sorry the acolyte icon wards give them reroll the, rerolling their morale but if you're if you're trying to compete with all the horde armies and spam their cheap neophyte hybrid bodies, uh, rerolling your morale isn't going to help when you lose like 20 guys, right? So uh, your yeah. your units are still going to blow up, um, and the icon word other than that is not very good. Uh, so they they're, they're kind of their horde aspect is, is kind of dwindled a little. Obviously, gene stealers are still really good. The patriarch and the Primus giving gene stealers. Um, buffs to their attacks in close combat is really powerful, um, but I think ultimately it, when you're playing a Gene Circle army, um, the the aberrants they have a minus one to hit with their siege claws, and their siege claws are, are basically power fists now, which isn't good because power fists got worse. Um, and then their coal ambush got nerfed a little bit, uh, lost some of its power. It's still really good, but it's not amazing. Uh, and essentially, what you're looking at is a seventh an army that was left behind in seventh edition. Um, that never got, that hasn't really changed much in the new edition, even though it needed a bunch of changing. Um, so, I think as you play your Gene Sealer Cult armies, I think you're going to find a lot of uh, you're going to find a lot of reasons to bring like guard or Tyranids instead uh, to kind of mitigate your army. And then by that point, you're not really playing Gene Sealer Cult anymore. Um, but that's just my opinion. Uh, I know it was a little unfair to Gene Sealer Cult, but uh, unfortunately, I think the tournament results are proving me correct. Uh, But if you disagree with me and you have a good Circle army, let me know. I want to hear it. I want to see it. I want to see what you think. Uh, Paul, anyways, that's my episode. Paul, thanks for coming on. Uh, It's been an absolute blast having you.
1: Yeah, I'm really, really happy I got to be on and uh, got to talk about things I love and uh, just uh, stoked to be here.
0: All right, guys. Thanks very much for listening. For all those of you who stayed around to the very end, you guys are the best. Have a good one.